Welcome to Deuteru Cannons. This is episode, Byron, what is it? I don't have a board in front of me telling me what episode this is. Oh, is man. it episode 42? We're severely lacking in boards. Or is it know. episode 43? You just keep talking. I'll find it out. Okay, so this is an episode of Deuteru Cannons, <laughs> and Byron is going to find out which episode it is precisely. But anyway, speaking of Byron, my name is Justin, and with me always is Byron. Party on, Byron. Party on, Justin. And yes, that does come from Wayne's World. Hopefully we don't owe any royalties to, I guess, waynesworld.com and all of its affiliates and subsidiaries. Subsidiaries, I guess is how you say it, not subsidiaries. I emphasize the wrong syllable. Given your chosen profession, you probably should get that right. That's a very valid point. However, I will say that elocution has been out of the standards since probably the 1940s. So I never had it. My kids have never had it. But I have it in old books. And, and I, I do... And I don't even know what that means. Elocution? Well, it's this uh, this way of executing a criminal that was developed in the uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, oh. where you put this helmet on top of a criminal. Ah. Like, it's, you, you sit the criminal in a chair, and you strap the criminal down to the chair because you don't want him to go anywhere. Oh. And then and then you lower the, this helmet on them, and the and it's hooked up to the like the, the electricity from the entire prison, and you turn the switch on, and it elocutions them. Oh, elocution. I thought you said smellocution. Oh. <laughs> this is episode 43, boss. Episode 43 of Deuterocanons. And today, this is our, I believe, second installment of Deuterocanons Reacts. Was this our second? I, I believe that, that we did react hmm. to... A podcast previously, didn't we? Uh, I don't know if we ever did. I mean, we've we've certainly disc. I don't know. We're on forty two episodes. I don't know what we've done. We're on, we're on forty three episodes. Forty three episodes. You just said forty three, right? Oh man, I'm losing it. Come on, brain, work with me here. Is your prefrontal cortex developed? <laughs> well, I'm almost forty. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, if it's not developed by now, I mean, not only is it de- forget it developed, it's set in its ways. That's even worse. Yeah. Either way, I believe this is our second reaction episode. And today what we're going to be reacting to is a movie put out by Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs is a ministry started by Richard Wormbrand. And uh, I wanted to take a second to just go over some of the, the basic uh, biog- biographical details of his life. For those of you who have not heard of Richard Wormbrand or Voice of the Martyrs, this is uh, definitely something to, to look into. I can't, I can't recommend this enough. So Pastor Richard Wormbrand was born in 1909 and, and died back in 2001. And actually, we have a couple of members of our congregation who have met Richard Wormbrand and his wife, Sabina. And so we watched this movie today about Sabina Wormbrand and, and her husband. And we were able to get some actual, you know, anecdotes uh, that were told, and that uh, you know, I guess firsthand, you know, stuff from the Wormbrands uh, through Robert and Jackie Gill uh, when they when they got to meet them back back in the '90s at some mission conferences. But anyway, uh, Pastor Richard Wormbrand was uh, born into a, a Jewish family, but he he was not an observant Jew. He he became an atheist. He was uh, very intellectually gifted. He uh, he apparently could speak nine languages. He was a successful stockbroker. But then, as a result of time that he had to spend in a sanatorium, 
uh, suffering from tuberculosis, he, he, he had a lot of time to reflect and ended up rejecting atheism and then thereafter ended up coming to faith in Christ. And without going into all of the details of his, uh, of his conversion process, which is a, a really amazing story that you can read about in, in some of the several books that he wrote. During World War II, uh, the Nazis, of course, took over uh, his native Romania and he ended up being arrested three times for for the work that he was doing, including uh, helping Jews to escape Nazi persecution. However, when the uh, when the Soviets came in, they initially hoped that the situation would get better, but it in fact got worse. He was arrested in short order, and ended up spending, I believe, fourteen years in Soviet prisons. Goodness. including three years in solitary confinement. And so if you read his book, Tortured for Christ, uh, you can find out about that. Another one of his books uh, that details that time is uh, is called 100 Prison Meditations. And I think that that one's more directly related to the thoughts that, that, that he was having during his time in, in solitary confinement. Eventually, I, I believe this was in 1965, two organizations paid a $10,000 ransom to get him and his family out of Romania, which for that time was a huge, huge amount. Uh, most people who, who were rescued by, by paying ransom to the, to the local Soviet governments got out for a whole lot less. But they, uh, they knew that this guy was dangerous in the sense that, that he was an incredibly effective believer. And so they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't just let him go for a normal price. He eventually, uh, came to uh, Norway and then England and then over to America where, among other things, he testified before Congress about the Soviet brutality. And he, he went so far as to taking off his shirt and showing the, the scars all over his, his upper torso that came from uh, the numerous, the, the countless beatings that he received. And this movie that, that we watched today uh, is titled Sabina, again, put out by Voice of the Martyrs. And I believe that it's it's free. So if you go to the Voice of the the Martyrs website, uh, you can get like we we registered our our church to receive uh, access to it, and they sent us a, a DVD, and we showed that to our to some folks from our church today, and it was a, a really well put together film. And so that's what Byron and I are going to focus on uh, today with with our reaction and and response to this film. Again, uh, the title is Sabina, looking at the life of Sabina Wormbrand and her husband, Richard. So, so Byron, I, I, want, I want to start with you. Just uh, some initial uh, reactions. What, what are some things that stood out to you about the film? Or, or maybe you want to uh, start off giving, I don't know, more summary of the film in particular, wh- whichever you want to go with. Uh, you know, I think, I think your summary is great. I, I, I'll leave that at that. And, I, man, I, I guess the hard part is, is where to start. Definitely. Um, I, I think maybe the first thing that comes to mind is I am just once again, it's astounded at the, the strength of, you know, the human spirit in the face of such suffering. So, you know, I know we discussed this downstairs, but, uh, you know, you know, we talked, I think diary, the diary of Anne Frank was mentioned and, uh, you know, uh, Corey Ten Boom. These are things that, uh, I know my kids have now read, you know, b- both of those books and, uh, which which both happened in you know around the same time, and so I I guess it's interesting that there there were 
there were so many people. It impresses me the strength of these people and the fact that that there were so many people that endured these things and were able to do these these great things. Um, I guess with when you look at Corey Ten Boom, that that's probably the one that that uh, I'm more reminded of because again, it's it's a Christian uh, helping out the Jews. And she actually made it through the Holocaust. She did, and was was able to to, to share about her experiences and also. Similar to some of the things that we saw with the Berm brand, she was able to, I think, later meet mm-hmm. some of the ones who were involved in the in her torture. Yeah, if, if I remember correctly, she well, and so sorry, I'm I'm kind of all trying to get my thoughts here together here, but so so it's it's interesting to me that again, so we hear, once again we hear the story of this, uh, you know, uh, strength uh, in the face of adversity, and I think. I'm not surprised to hear that we see Christian people helping Jews. Mm-hmm. But then the other thing that was unique that I was not prepared for is, is this this way that they seem to have made the Nazis themselves the mission field. Yes, exactly. And so where there was this quote at the end of the movie uh, that Sabina is credited with. It says, while others are sent on or are bent on revenge on ways of doing more evil than their neighbor, God gives the ability to return good for evil. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with the movie's opening, we have these Nazi soldiers running from the Russians uh, looking for somewhere to hide. Yeah, in 1944. In 44. And that's how this whole thing starts out. So so they, she, her and her husband seem to very tra- quickly transition from smuggling Jews out of Romania to smuggling Nazis out of Romania. And it really speaks to this idea that we are all children of God. Mm-hmm. And, and, and man, like, I think that's something that I, I would have trouble with. Right. It... The battle is not against flesh and blood, right? And they saw everyone who 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 happened to be flesh and blood as being a potential brother mm-hmm. in Christ. Yeah, and I don't think I've ever seen a better example of that th- than the Wormbrands as they're portrayed in this film. And and having read several of Richard Wormbrand's books, I, I know that this is not something that's just put on for the sake of the film, right? Or exaggerated. For the sake of the film, I mean, if anything, the, the the film didn't even begin to scratch the surface of, of all of the things that, that that both Richard and Sabina did individually and together. Yeah, not just being good to those who were good to them. Yeah, which that's hard for some people, but they 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 act they literally went out of their way to try to bring their enemies. To Christ, right, and so we see that in, in multiple ways in the film. Uh, the first one, of course, is, is the one that you you started off with, with uh, th- those, and uh, you know, th- they could be accused on the one hand of being Nazi sympathizers, right? Except you can tell because she's telling her story to these two Nazis that she's not trying to help them because she's a Nazi sympathizer, but because she wants she she's sharing Christ with them, right, and is trying to embody the the forgiveness that that she has in Christ because you know she she started off and I I didn't know this actually about her I knew that that Richard was a was Jewish or from from a Jewish background I did not realize that his wife that Sabina was what was also yeah and she seems to be at least somewhat or not not she herself but her family at least more observant uh, to the point of being very strongly against Christianity specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I also didn't know that they both came to Christ so 
soon before the persecution ensued. Yeah. Uh, because they they were married, I believe, in 1936, and and they came to Christ in 1938. You know, right right before the war. Well, you know, it's, so I guess to maybe finish the point I was making too, it's like I think most of us can understand the idea of helping the Jews in the face of the Nazis and being able to uh, justify. So I've talked about this before in a sermon where I talked about truth and how. Um, one of the words, so, you know, we've, we've done this a lot where a lot of times you can make a point about one thing by discussing the antithesis, right? Definitely. So the opposite of uh, the truth might be uh, lies. It could also be just uh, falsehoods. Or another word that we'll hear, we'll hear is deceit. Okay. You know? And so you can see in a situation where you're dealing with the Nazis where you—, you And I think I used Corey Ten Boom or Anne Frank or somebody like that as an example of this of how— um, cause in, in Corey Ten Boom's story, one of the things she struggles with is how do I, how do I, or her sister more so actually is how do I help these Jewish people without lying, mm-hmm. you know? And I think a lot of people could, could, could justify that deceit because they're doing good, you know? Mm-hmm. I think where this story takes it a step further is this idea of also viewing the enemy as part of the mission field. Like that's, again, that's something that. Uh, admittedly, I, I think I would struggle with, you know, and it quickly, and especially with the, the way that they were, they seem to have been able to turn it around because they had the Germans coming through one way. Now they have the Russians coming through the other way. And I don't know if they realized that at the time, but they're really trading one evil for another. I think about Poland and I don't, you know, know the history as well as I would like to, to have this conversation. But I know when the Germans went through Poland, it was nothing but rape and pillage and a lot of people being treated very poorly. Mm -hmm. And when the Russians came back through and quote unquote liberated Poland, it was pretty much more of the same. And I think it was even worse from what I understand. Yeah. And so, uh, to go from the, the, the Germans being the enemy to the, to them being the ones that you're helping so quickly. I mean, I'm just, I'm just fascinated by that, Mm -hmm. you know? So some examples in the, and other examples in the film of the worm brands going out of their way to try to rescue their enemies from the sin that they were entangled in. Um, one of them is, uh, so w- first of all, just going to their neighbors. Mm-hmm. And their neighbors uh, initially were, were not receptive to them. And I, and I don't mean not receptive to Christ, but not even receptive to neighborliness. Yeah. There, there's one family... Uh, when, when the worm brands go up to the door trying to meet them and, you know, they've got jars of jam or preserves or something that they're, mm-hmm. they're bringing as a, as a gift to try to introduce themselves to this family. You, you know, you hear stuff crashing inside and, and screaming. They knock on the door. Uh, the, the guy, the husband opens the door and, you know, chaos on the inside. Mm-hmm. Richard tries to introduce himself and his family to, to this fellow. And the guy like grabs a jar, one of the jars, and just like chucks it on the ground as hard as he can, and it shatters. Yeah. So it slams the door in their face. Then they go upstairs to another neighbor, and I don't know really know how, but he seems to know that they're Jewish. Yeah. And this is after, or, or, yeah, in the aftermath of Jews being essentially criminalized or definitely marginalized mm-hmm. at the least, and discrimination against the Jews being becoming more and more prominent and they they continued to pursue this guy trying to have conversation with him 
and, and they eventually just barely barely break through and get him to I, I guess just treat treat them like like people yeah. first and they've got some gift for him I, I think that it was again jam you see another time that they try to take a loaf of bread to that that other family where there's screaming going on and just eventually by that continued pursuing of them finally the the, the husband is softened he's like man i i can't get rid of you and it rem, it reminded me of, of something that one of jesus's parables mm-hmm. did, did that come to mind for you which one uh the the when jesus maybe this isn't a parable but when jesus talked about going to a neighbor in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and persistently knocking on the door yeah and and to, to ask for bread mm-hmm. and he says that the, the neighbor will eventually give the bread just for the sake of the the persistence yeah it's not that the neighbor is all that neighborly yeah. or all that kind necessarily but because of that that persistence yeah eventually he'll come down open the door and and give give the bread and and I thought that that, that was very much portrayed. In, in, in that scene of the worm brands trying to, to reach their neighbors. You know, I, I guess what it reminded me of is just how important it is for us to uh, not strip people of their humanity. And, that, you know, that's by and large, that's the biggest problem with a lot of the the uh, electronic and the social media and the stuff that we have now is it's so easy to, quote unquote, other people. And so, you know, people say things online that they would never say to people face to face, at mm-hmm. least not historically maybe it's, it's becoming less and less the case and so uh i think that 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 displays the strength of uh humanizing yourself to other folks and, and then you see how they're able to build upon that and, and essentially build uh, a network mm-hmm. with which to uh you know rescue these jewish folks and then and, and i assume uh the thereafter the 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 nazis yeah could you tell some about about that network of friends that they develop because that's kind of the the next step after um, this neighborliness that the, that the worm brand started. Well, I'll, I'll tell you the one that, that I was not, I, I don't recall where he came from, but they had the lawyer come in at one point. Yes. Yeah. I don't remember them talking to them initially, but of course, so it seems that their, their initial network was the folks in their surrounding area. One of which happened to be uh, law enforcement it seems that they were also tied in at the church. And so they had a place where they could hide the in the, in this case the seven Jewish girls that girls girls who had who who had survived the uh, uh, I guess the the purge that the Nazis were doing, and then and then they were actually able to smuggle them out within the system because one of their neighbors happened to also be a member of the police force, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know I guess what what that demonstrates is uh, maybe the benefits of having sympathizers to your cause in places of of power and influence who can help you get things done, um, you know, in situations such as that, because sometimes you need people who are the quote unquote gray man that'll kind of go unnoticed. But then other times you need maybe an authority figure, uh, kind of like the police officer Mm -hmm. to, to help you. So, yeah, the, just the, the the power of, neighborliness mm-hmm. the, the the power of, of of christian kindness because again all, all of these things that the warm brands were doing it, it was for the sake of christ but what it what it the, the way that it came across was just the kind of concern that people should have for each other it's it's kindness we were talking about that word some last week when we were talking about i was thinking about holy that. yep kindness it's the way that our kind mm-hmm. should treat other members of, of, of our kind. Yeah. And that's exactly what they were, what they were doing. 
And it also re- reminds me of the, the passage where Jesus talks about, no, not Jesus, I, I guess Paul talks about angels unaware. Yeah. And that, that's a way of, of thinking about the potential eternal significance of small acts of Christian kindness. Yeah. Like, like we saw from the Worm Brands. But that built, of course, it, did, it didn't, uh, like it started with the, these small neighborly acts, a loaf of bread, jars of preserves, not giving up on really nasty neighbors, mm-hmm. persisting in that. But, but to me, one of the, the major moments in the film, of course, is when Reverend Wor- Pastor Wormbrand goes out in the middle of the night to meet one of the uh, one of the the Nazi soldiers, I, I guess a local, like a Romanian right. Nazi soldier who called himself the butcher. Mm-hmm. C- can you can you tell can you tell about that some the situation with the butcher? Right. So uh, just prior to that, we found out that Sabina, so that's uh, Pastor Warren Brand's wife, uh, her her entire family had been uh, rounded off rounded up and sent up to uh, one of the, the concentration camps, which its name escapes me. It wasn't one that I recognized. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, all of them, her sisters, her brother, her her mother, mother and father are all all killed in the camps. Whether, you know, and they, I guess they don't specify exactly if they were killed, like, in the gas chamber or if they were just worked to death in a work camp. But uh, they were killed in the same camp that this, this, this man worked in. And so, again, like you mentioned, this is a Romanian. This is a local who... Uh, ended up uh, becoming sympathetic to the Nazi cause and and uh, was effectively home on leave from one of the, being a worker in one of these concentration camps and was staying with one of the Wormbrandt's uh, neighbors and, and, so, and I guess church members right it would seem yes right? and so uh, he discloses that to them uh, or at least to uh, Pastor Wormbrandt and. Uh, you know, you, you can see that the movie does does a good job of, of kind of showing that he's like, I feel like I'm supposed to do something with this, mm-hmm. you know? And so, am I going to keep going? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. keep going. And so, uh, <clears throat> so he effectively, he, he gets up in the middle of the night and goes over to the house and knocks on the door, and, and this, this guy answers the door. And so, uh, it's interesting because he, he actually... Uh, he just builds a little rapport with him. Uh, this guy recognizes that uh, that the pastor is German. Yeah, he was speaking German to him, which impressed him because, of course, as a Romanian Nazi, yeah, he he's he's in the minor leagues, right? Essentially, right. And so, if, man, if this guy can speak German, mm-hmm. you know this this is impressive. Yep, and so so uh, he he builds some rapport with him in that regard, and. Uh, begins to boast of how he's been sent on leave and how the Germans really uh, owe him one because of all the Jews that he's killed. And so, you know, the proselytizing begins a little bit there, and I think he, he sees that uh, it, it's it's misplaced. And so, uh, actually, no, I think that the his actual neighbor walks out and kind of into the middle of the conversation was able to diffuse it a little bit. Right, he, he tries to, to downplay the situation, like, oh, well, that, that guy, he's... When he gets drunk, he exaggerates. Right. And so uh, he ends up inviting him back to his apartment uh, because he was talking about how he missed the music. And so he, he offered to play him some music. 
And so uh, he's got him in his living room. He's playing music, and he he's playing music on the <laughs> piano. Uh, the Nazi, the the butcher is is singing along and, and falls asleep in the chair, and and he kind of decides to make his move and, and wakes mm-hmm. him up and uh, confronts him with his sin. Confronts him with his sin, right? And 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 that that's one of the things that that's so amazing to me is how is how direct Wormbrand could be mm-hmm. on any matter of truth. Yeah, I mean, if if you go back to the way that he. Uh, shared Christ with his wife. Yeah, you know, even as she's a Jew, like he knows it's going to upset her. Yeah, but there, there's something about him where if it's true, he he has to say it. Yeah, and he says it really directly, and it's it's not like he's trying to make somebody feel guilty or make somebody feel any particular way. It's just the the weight of truth that's on him. He can't help but to speak exactly. What 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 the what the truth is, and so he goes right after this German and calls him a murderer, mm-hmm. which you know that that's he he's taking his life into his own hands, right? And and he 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 knows this, and and yet he he doesn't hold back, and yet he also somehow is able to speak this guy's sins without being judgmental, right? Somehow, and and again, having read several of his books. That is something about him that that comes through. Well, you know, when I watch that, and actually remind me, there's there's one other thing I want to say about his his way of approaching people or dealing with them and and their sin, uh, particularly as it pertains to his wife. But you know, when I watch that interaction and and and, and the one we're about to discuss, I wonder if some of that is because it's so easy for us, and, and, and you know, I think a lot of this is because we tend to to view history. Uh, through the lens of what we we see in movies, mm-hmm. you know, even though we're talking about a movie, well, <laughs> certainly, certainly, yeah. But I, I guess by that I mean like as a as a military guy, I watch movies all the time, and all I do is sit there and talk about how unrealistic they are and how we'd never do this and we never knew that. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, uh, with other things, we don't seem to like we don't have that realization. Right. And by, so, but what, what I mean by that is it's easier for us to watch this movie and see this young man be influenced by the Nazi movement and kill his own people and condemn that. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe if we were in the Warmbrandt's shoes and were experiencing this firsthand, maybe we'd have a little bit more sympathy for what was probably a young person, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't know, maybe that guy's depicted as being older than he was. I don't know. Right. Um, who's, who's, been subject to and, and, and succumb to these bad influences, Yeah, you know? And so maybe there's room to have, uh, maybe there's, maybe there's room for them to feel sympathy and have grace that we can't understand because we're getting like the theatric Hollywood version of it. Mm-hmm. You know, although I think this movie does a good job of depicting that. I guess maybe I'm talking about other movies, Yeah, you yeah. know, it's so easy for us to watch those things and be like, how could these people believe those things? Mm-hmm. But then consider the things that people believe these days, you know? Which are just as bad. Right. Just as bad, which are really exactly the same. Certainly. I mean, demonizing uh, an entire group of people simply for ethnicity or, I mean, race, quote unquote race. Well, we claim with so many things that we'll never forget. And yet it seems like we're forgetting over and over and over again. Oh, absolutely. You know? 
Yeah, because people have a have a remarkable way of thinking that we are better than the people who have gone before, and and that that hubris, you know, pride goeth before fall. Right. And I would say that that we're falling. I agree. Pretty rapidly. So before we get to what is admittedly, or at least in my opinion, probably the climax here in a second. Yeah. Let me let me ask you this though: what you, what you think of this as far as again his approach to truth? Because certainly he can be very direct, but I also thought it was interesting how he was willing to let a situation play out, hmm. particularly when it came to came to his wife. Yeah, where it was kind of like, "Oh, you want to go to the movie? Sure." Oh yeah, so so this is this is backtracking. Let's go to the movie. Some this is this is back before his wife accepted Christ. Mm-hmm. So th- this is a this is a part of the film that we we haven't really talked about, but what we did mention that they they didn't convert, they didn't accept Christ until nineteen. 19- 36 and and the way that the film depicts it is that Richard came to Christ first and Sabina followed and When he first started talking about faith in Christ or even just rejecting atheism and being interested in Pursuing a life of truth and meaning that was something that uh, his wife Really recoiled at that. They were kind of of the eat drink and be merry certainly crowd and, and early in the film, we see depictions of them uh, going to, to clubs and drinking and, and dancing. And they're pretty good dancers, by the way. Well, you know, they give the, uh, they very much, it very much seems like kind of the roaring 20s, which I guess at this Even point. Even though it's the 30s. It was, I guess it took a while to get to Romania. It was the 30s, certainly. But uh, it was very much a world of, of vice for them. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I guess what I thought was interesting too, because at one point, um, you know, they, they, they discuss, uh, there's that book that we were trying to all hear the name of that, that he hands her to read. It's called the brothers Radisbon, which is about a, Hey, but by, by the way, for those of, for those of you keeping score at home, how is that, how is that title spelled? The, 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 the name of that book. So brothers, typical spelling, Radisbon, R A T I S B O N N E. Okay. And this brief summary says two French Jews who converted to Christianity and became prominent in the Catholic Church in the 19th century, and which which I guess if you appreciated that during the movie, you could kind of see where maybe it's a little bit of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. But but here's my point with that is, as I was trying to figure out what that book was, I came up with this list and it was influential books of the it's 30 to 39. So think the Grapes of Wrath, Absalom, 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 As I Lay Dying, Gone with the Wind, Brave New World. Let's see what else is on this list. Is that books or movies? This is books. Okay. Of Mice and Men, uh, The Hobbit, uh, you think. And then in the movie, he's handed the book, which was it Das Kapital or was it The Communist Manifesto? I, I couldn't tell, but it but it was Marx. But it was a Marx book, right? right? Because apparently she was, I guess, a pop Marxist. Right. And so then, of course, they go to watch these movies and, and they see, yeah, Gone with the Wind of Mice and Men. And then they end up yeah. watching, uh, what was it called? What was the movie called that they watched? It was something about Gambling with Souls. I Gambling think. with Souls right. is the title. And so here, here's what I was reminded of. When I, when I preached the sermon on Marxism, one of the things I talked about is how when the Marxists came to America and they saw Hollywood, they called it the, uh, uh, goodness gracious, I think, I forget what it is every time I want to say it. It's the... Uh, culture industries that's how they viewed hollywood the culture industries yeah which i think it, again what the point i made then and i'll make it now is i think that's true because you've seen what how they've kind of turned kind of turned it around on us or maybe mm-hmm. they haven't but it's interesting how 
in that that interaction, you know, what she says to him is, it's so nice that you'll come out, instead of going to church, you'll come out with me on a Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And they go to this movie. And, you know, his whole point is like, he's he's just kind of like letting this happen. Like he said what he's, he's he said what he's, he could, he's planted the seed and he's got to kind of let God do the rest. Right. And so they go watch this movie and he kind of comments on it afterwards about how like, you know, maybe I should just go find a young lady to take home to to. Yeah, he to, said, uh, yeah, I'm, how about, yeah, I think I'm going to take you home and then find a gal, go to a hotel. Yeah. And of course she responds very negatively right. to that. She doesn't think it's a good idea. But of course he, he's making a point. What's the point he's making? Well, I think the point he's making is that, well, what does he say? A man... Uh, a man becomes what he what he sees, or a man becomes the things that he he looks at. Looks at which that, that's a really good way of saying it. Yeah, because um, th- th- there, there's a guy I, I like to listen to sometimes. You you can you can look him up. He's on uh, YouTube and uh, podcasts and all that. The guy's name is Jonathan Pajot. Mm-hmm. He's also been on with Jordan Peterson. He's a uh, he's an artist up in Canada, but he does a lot of scriptural and cultural commentary. And just really, really deep and uh, a deep and good thinker. And the way that he, he talks about worship, and he says that worship is attending. In other words, mm-hmm. like worship is paying attention. Yeah. And so the thing that you pay attention to, well, I mean, that's that's what you're, you're worshiping because it, it always involves, cho- whatever we really pay attention to involves choices and whatever it is that we are ultimately attending to is God for us, or, or is in the place of God, Yeah, let's say. And so the way that, that Wormbrand said that is that a man becomes what he looks at. Th- that's exactly right. Well, and, and I think that that planted a seed with her. Well, it is right, and this is something <laughs> we've discussed before, because in a previous episode we talked about how you know how we take things into our body and how the the eyes are a light to the soul or mm-hmm. a window to the soul Win- or something window, yeah. something to that effect right and and you made he made the point he's making the point that you made uh quite rightly i, I might say is that when we watch something or we listen to something like that is entering our body our physical body mm-hmm. yeah just the, like just the way that food and smells do yeah you know and it has an has an effect and and i think that's one of those things where uh He's. You get the impression that he said things like this to his wife before, and and now he's just kind of letting her, uh, maybe come to her own understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And simultaneously, though, then they are also showing these young men, the butcher specifically, watching this Nazi propaganda and all the things that they're saying about Jews, and showing that 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 they're becoming what they take in as well. And so we fast forward a couple scenes. She wants to go dancing with some friends. Yeah. And so just, just like old times, just like old times. And she finally starts to come to that realization on her own because as she's, she walks in, she gets bumped into, she gets a drink spilled on her. And then her two friends, you know, all they want to do is drink and be merry. And, and and they both kind of split off and go start talking to other people. So you kind of get like this. And and these, these friends are are married to each other. Right. And so you, you, you get this like swinger vibe or something. Exactly. Yeah. And so she kind of gets to the point where, and and I think the cinematography in this was really cool, where they would show them and they'd show her eyes shifting, and they'd show something mm-hmm. else and they'd show her eyes shifting, and you see her coming, kind of coming to this this conclusion where she's like, "I want to leave." Right, and she wants to leave, but then at first he says, "Oh no, 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 the the, the night's young. You know, the we night's got young, yeah, right? no, we we haven't seen them in a while. Let, let's just stay here for a while." Yeah. So it's like he he was allowing her to be 
in that situation long enough to be repulsed yeah. and, and further repulsed by it. And so I, I guess maybe kind of my, my takeaway from this, though, is when you look at his interaction with his wife versus his interaction with the butcher, um, man, there's there's time. there are times where we have, uh, maybe we were, where we have time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's where uh, our ability to, our ability to have impact is so um, dependent on like the, our relationships. That's why, mm-hmm. like, like I think Christianity is intended to be a very, very relational. I mean, I, I guess I don't know. I've seen this before. I remember being on a subway as a kid in Philadelphia visiting my grandparents, and a guy walking down the middle of it, you know, basically saying like, "The day of judgment is approaching," and this, that, and the other, and it's kind of like. I don't know. Maybe that's what God had in mind, right? Uh, he's right. He he is right. But my instinct is that you'll be more effective if you have a relationship with somebody first in order to make those points. Because even with the butcher, though he has less time, right, to kind of make his pitch, he knows that he's got to build some rapport and get to a place where he can say what mm-hmm. he needs to say. But because time is of the essence, and time is of the essence for all of us, which was Julius Hoven's point this morning at one point, right? Yeah. Like we don't know the day or the hour. And so at some point you gotta, you, you've got to get the information out there. And so in this case, he was very direct with him finally. Yeah. And something connected to that, 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 that I realized is that, I mean, I, I don't want the Nazis to come knocking at the door or whatever the modern equivalent is, which there are plenty of modern equivalents. I don't want them knocking on the door right now and endangering you and your family or me and my family or anybody who I know mm-hmm including people who might consider themselves, you know, not friendly right. toward me. Like I don't want anybody to get the modern Gestapo treatment. Right. And, and, you know, people fled, people hid out and, and he went and sought out this Nazi. Yeah. And invited him into his home. Yeah. That's, that's bold. That's bold, man. But, but it, it's also this bold, embodiment of the hospitality of Christ. Well, and you know, I feel like we, we probably see some examples of that. I guess the one that comes to mind for me, it's kind of the inverse, but you think Paul on the road to Damascus, right? Jesus tells him to go to who's the house that he is told to go to Simon, isn't it? Simon, somebody, right? Yeah. Simultaneously, God tells, or Christ tells Simon, like, this guy Paul's coming to your house. Yes. I feel like there's probably a good chance that Simon knows who Paul is. Oh, he definitely did. Paul was a butcher of sorts. He was a butcher. Or at least complicit to, to butchering. Right. Oh, he, 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 was, he was the ringleader, and that's why he was going to yeah. Damascus, was to round up more Christians. Yep. And so, I, and what's interesting about this, too, though, I guess, because I've said this before, you know, Paul was spreading, spreading Christianity well before he was a Christian. It was via persecution because everywhere yeah. he went, you know, on his missionary journeys, Christianity preceded him. Um, and so it's not as though God can't uh, make use of people running away. Mm-hmm. But then, but it seems like then there are also times where you're specifically going to be called to make a stand. Right. You know. Right. And and again, having read a good bit about him, man, like the, those those times came frequently. Yeah, and I think that it, it can be easy for us to to not be cognizant of miracles. And I've I've even spoken about that some lately. 
at how, you know, sometimes the, the answer comes in a different way than we hope or with a different timeline. And sometimes that timeline of God's healing and, and deliverance does not come before death for, for, for us. Right. That said, when, when you read about Christians in extreme situations like the warm brands, the, the kinds of, of prayers that are prayed and the kinds of answers that are received are, I, I don't know, there's no other way to put it except to say that when some of those things were depicted today, I mean, like I just teared up. Yeah. You know, like I, I couldn't handle it, not because it was sad exactly, not because it was happy exactly, but because like that, that's just how my body was reacting to this is who God is and this is how he operates. For, for example, when, um, when Wormbrand was, was in that graveyard praying, and actually he's, he's still an atheist technically at this point, but he, he ends up praying for God to reveal himself Right. And then, then you have a, a guy come up to the to the cemetery gate and say, hey, hey, you, were you at church today? And the guy says, well, I mean, and Richard says no. And the, the guy at the gate asks him, are you a Jew? Mm-hmm. And Richard says, well, yes, but not practicing. In other words, like, I'm, like I'm, not, I'm not really like a religious Jew. I don't like where Jew. these questions are going, you know? <clears throat> right. Yeah. And it turns out this guy is a Christian. His name is even Christian, but by the way. And he says, my wife and I were praying for you today, and I'm supposed to give you this book. Hmm. It's like, well, so first of all, so you have, so you have Wormbrand in the graveyard praying, mm-hmm. praying for God to reveal himself. And apparently you also this, you know, just normal Christian and his wife praying and, and God probably not an audible voice, but some sort of very clear impression mm-hmm. that they knew was from God telling them there's going to be a Jewish man in the cemetery. Give him this book. Huh. And they obey. And this connection is made yeah. there in that graveyard, which I mean, the, the symbolism of that yeah. is, is just so, so amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, it, and obvious, by the way, mm-hmm. I mean, to, to have this moment of life in this place of death, knowing that he is spiritually dead, yeah. but, but calling out for, for, for life and the source of life, and, and the, the prayer is answered in that moment, and it, it's just, it's beautiful. So, so back to what was happening in the Wormbrand's home with th- this Nazi butcher, he, you know, he, he declares to this guy what his sins are. And, you know, you murdered, you're in the place where my wife's family was murdered. For all we know, you are that murderer. And, you know, he's, he's about to storm out. And, and I guess Wormbrand says something about how, how, you know, he is a, what, what this guy needs to really worry about is standing before the Lord in judgment. Right. And the guy's like, I don't, I'm an atheist. And the guy says, I will, and Richard says, I will prove to you that God is real. Guy's like, you can't do that. You can't prove to me that God's real. And Richard says, I will go through that door. I will wake up my wife and she will come out and she will not, what what did he say? He will not, she will not, uh, in other words, she won't blame you or uh, some expression that that she will be forgiving of you. Mm -hmm. And then she will make you a meal of the finest food that we have in the house. And so he goes into her. And he, it's the middle of the night or very, very early in the morning. She's asleep. He wakes her up and he says, 
Sabina, there's a man here that you need to meet. And so she starts to stir, and he says, he, he was, and I think he said the name of the concentration camp, he killed your family. Yeah. And she, she gets up right away. And the one thing that came to mind was, I know that this is a different situation, but when Jesus healed Peter's mother, she immediately got up and served. Mm-hmm. And and that I know this is a, this is a different this is a different scenario. Does your friend like goat cheese? <laughs> I, I love goat cheese. Yeah. This is a different scenario, but it's it's the same attitude. She she gets up yeah. immediately and she goes to him, and she embraces him and and kisses him, and forgives him, and then goes and makes breakfast. Yeah, I if that. There, there's nothing more beautiful in all of creation yeah. than the spirit of Christ in Sabina Wormbrand embracing the her family's murderer. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't get any better than that. Well, and it really speaks to the passage that they talk about where it's like, if your enemy's hungry, give him bread. Yeah. If he's thirsty. That comes up many times in the film. Give him water, you know. And, you know, and, and both times it's brought up. The In one case, Sabina. In the other case, this Nazi officer, they say, but that's you realize that's ridiculous, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you know, and, and we, we've been, GK Chesterton said that there are two ways of, of arriving at home. The first way is to never leave. And the other way is to go completely all the way around the world and come in through your back door. Mm. And I think that the ridiculousness, let's say of Christ's teachings about love for enemies can be difficult to appreciate because we haven't experienced, you know, the other side of the world. Yeah. Let's say. Yeah. But th- this, th- this one, th- these Nazis on the one hand, and then Sabina as a Jew, on the other hand, they really are the other side of the world from Christianity. Right. You know, th- they have not been th- like their hearts and minds had not been conditioned by it, and so they actually can react to it in a completely fresh way. Well, you you know, and I guess this goes back to my point earlier about maybe being able to sympathize with the young person uh, succumbing to influences that they shouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, um, because and the thing that keeps coming to mind with with what we're talking about here is is discernment, mm-hmm. because how do you know the still small voice you're hearing is God and isn't your consciousness, you know, mm-hmm. and and I think some of that it requires. It requires training. It requires spirit experience or wisdom, let's yeah. say. And so when I think about, you know, when I was a young person and, and people would maybe make excuses what, or what I thought were excuses about like, well, you're still young. You just don't mm-hmm. understand these things, you know? Yeah. And thinking that was kind of a cop out. But, but as I get older, I've started to realize that there, there are things that you maybe just understand or can, it, you know, I think a good example of this is driving. So I've been, you know, uh, working on driving with some of the kids at church, my daughter included. And so one of the things I was telling them is like, there's going to be times where you start to, it's important that when you're on the road that you be predictable so that other people know mm-hmm. what you're going, what you're going to do. Yeah. You know? So that's, that's, that's a, an example of meta <clears throat> metacognition. Okay. Because what, what you're saying is you need to think about your driving as you're driving. That's a form of metacognition. You know, right. if you're thinking about what you happen to be thinking, yeah. Like, you know, that, that's, that separation there is, is expressed by that, that prefix or that root 
meta thinking about what you're doing, like right. having some mindfulness about the situation like that. That's what you're talking about. But when I, w- when I was younger, I used to volunteer for the fire department. I remember responding to a traffic accident one time and, and uh, one of the guys in the department who's, he's the dad of a good friend of ours. He said, you know, and she's not a very, she's not an experienced driver. She's a young person. She's not an experienced driver. And I remember thinking about that an experienced driver, like mm-hmm. how complicated are we making this? There's two pedals and a steering wheel. You just drive, you know, mm-hmm. but now that I'm an, as, as somebody who's a little bit older talking to these young people, what I'm telling them is like, you're going to get to where you identify the potential for something to happen on the road when you're driving, just because you maybe have experienced it, experienced it before. And it's, and it's, it's hard to explain what that means. Right. Mm-hmm. But the reason we, but, but we teach you to do these things for a reason, things like covering your brake pedal and using signals and all this other stuff. Right. Because, uh, and so I think that that applies to life as well, where there's, there's just going to be things that I, I've seen and heard and, and, and maybe can read between the lines on that, that you can't as a young person. Um, and so I think we, we see a little bit of that here where, uh, like, like I said before, we can't fathom how somebody would, would give in to the, and Jordan Peterson talks about this, right? He talks about how he tried to imagine himself as one of the guards in a Nazi concentration camp. Right. And like, do I have it within me to, to to be that evil and understanding that that he does we all do mm-hmm. uh it's just that some of us are more are so naive that and we think we're, we're we're so high and mighty but but we all have the potential to be that evil and when, i think when we realize that we all have the potential to be that evil it's almost like we all have sinned we all fall short of the glory of god then maybe it's easier it, it becomes easier to have sympathy for somebody like this nazi who you know, weeks ago might've killed your entire family, mm-hmm. you know, like, so I don't know, like maybe, maybe that's me just working through this. Like, man, maybe it's almost easier. Maybe it's almost easier to realize how evil I can be. And, and, and that's something else I need to work through is, can I be that kind? Can I be that forgiving? You know? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, and so for the worm brands, how, how did that start for them? How did that start for them? You, you know, because they, they were young in the faith. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of time between coming to Christ and then being in some of the worst persecution that the world has ever mm-hmm. offered believers in Christ. Well, you know, I guess to the tr- scriptures I had prepped, one was being from James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, right? And so I, I, I wonder if some of that, some of the, <coughs> excuse me, I wonder if some of the reason they, they aren't able to be the people they were is because they effectively got a, a crash course in perseverance, Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's, that's my answer to your question. Okay. Um, uh, another thought that I, that I have, which but there's something about them. You're exactly right. Like once they chose, like the, the, they, they were going to, to stick to it. And the thing about perseverance that you're talking about, like that really showed up, I think in Sabina's, I guess you could say moment of conversion when she, when they come out of that, that party, together or that club mm-hmm. she's like okay i've got to go get baptized now like i'm so sick of this and and getting baptized i, I just got to like wash all of this yeah all of this garbage off of myself um a, a, a moment along those lines that sticks out to me is when they were pulling up to the checkpoint yeah 
and they were going to have to show the the German sentry mm-hmm. their papers, which revealed that they were Jewish. And they, they knew that in that moment they might be taken away. Yeah. And so they, they decided between the two of them that they were going to face the situation together for the sake of Christ and to see the persecution as a mission field. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they had scriptures that, it, I mean, even when the, I guess the first drumbeats of war started to sound and they, they have this conversation looking out the window at, at the city and Wormbrand was, you could see he had scriptures on note cards and he, he was trying to, to memorize all of these verses about fear yeah, and, and what, what, what the scriptures say about, about that, about that topic. And so the scriptures that they, they memorized, I think were, were a huge part of how they were able yeah. to, to persevere because it, it wasn't just that they were trying to make it through. Yeah. It wasn't that they were just trying to survive. They, they were trying at every, at every point to do what was right, being inspired by, or trying, trying to live exactly what the scriptures said. Yeah. I, I, I think there's something to be said. And again, this might be an example of what I'm talking about where as you get older, there, there are certain things that just, just, just come to be true to you because, uh, Maybe it's just because of experiences you've had or whatever. And certainly we can all do a better job of explaining why we think the things that we think. And that's something that I, I kind of harp on at work in, in my job, particularly with, with enlisted folks. The, one of the things I say is uh, NCOs tend to communicate in cliches and adages. <laughs> and just because something's cliche doesn't mean it's not true, right? But we could also do a better job of communicating, you know? And so I think there's just something about making a decision, particularly when there's other people involved. And so you think about sports. Um, yeah, I mean, we were, we were talking about basketball the other day and how, how prevalent traveling is now. Oh, gosh. You know? And that makes us upset. Yes. Why? Well, because it's the rules. It breaks everything. It's the rules. It's the, we've yeah. decided as a culture, these are the rules and the rules matter. Yeah. In this game. And also... I. Rules are are necessary, I think, for lots of things. I mean, you were talking about driving earlier. Like the the lines are important. It's yeah. important when you drive to stay in the lines. Coloring, you know, when kids learn to color, you gotta learn to stay in the lines. Art even has has certain rules that have to be followed, or or the production, like the the the, the work, is completely incomprehensible. Yeah. And I think that that's also the case with, with basketball is that part of the beauty is creativity within agreed upon constraints. Well, and, and so I guess what I'm saying is, is man, like I said, like there's just something about make a deci- making a decision and deciding something matters, particularly when, when it's with two or more people. Okay. You know, so in the military, there are a lot of rules and, um, Man, like I don't. I also don't want to go down the slippery slope of thinking just because somebody didn't shave one time, like they lack all discipline. You mm-hmm. know, like on the one hand. On the other hand, and again, particularly on the NCO side of the house, we also happen to know that when you start justifying things 
and making excuses and let things slide. It gets easier and easier and easier and easier each time mm-hmm. till eventually something that does matter. You're, you're, you're suggesting that it doesn't. And so you can see that here where, like you said, in the car, like they made a decision, you know, right. like, this matters. We're going to do this thing. And man, again, all that makes a lot of sense to us sitting here in the comfort of our homes, watching it. But like, let's be realistic when it all comes down to it. When and it's your life on the line, it would be very easy to be like, you know, I mean, it's unfortunate that these things are happening to these people, but you know, I got to look out for me and mine. Oh, that, that uh, I'll be honest. That mindset is far more prevalent than I, I, I realized e- even among what good Christian people, let's say good Christian conservative family oriented right. type people. And I think that that's something that's really been revealed in the last few years in our country. Mm-hmm. But even, even before the, uh, the, the trouble, let's say, from 2020 onward, th- there were things that, that, that I became aware of in my profession, and, and I really had to pray through and, and really consider, okay, like, what's, what's, what's the red line? Mm-hmm. What's the point at which, you know, I can't go along with the dictates of my profession? And I, I haven't been pushed to that point yet, but, but I, I know what it is. Yeah. And I, I know when I'll have to walk away for the sake of Christ. Yeah. And yeah, I, I hope that I hope that, that I'm not pushed to that eventually. But I, I mean, I feel like it's it's coming. Yeah. And you know, without getting into a whole lot of detail about that, but I, I know I know people in, in other professions too that have had to make not life and death decisions, but livelihood mm-hmm. level decisions where the economic stability of, of their families, let's say, is drastically altered. And I think that that was actually one of the first steps for the Worm Brands because think about the, they both came, uh, came from affluent families. Mm-hmm. At least that's how, how it's depicted in the film. But when they, after they made the decision to stay in Romania, they were they were not in a nice neighborhood. They, they, they weren't in some, you know, expensive flat. Yeah anymore like they were you know kind of lower maybe not even lowest rung of of middle class um maybe just a step above a a slum type of living situation and and that seems like it's a it's a first step like are is a person willing to live at a lower societal level let's say for the sake of christ yeah and and they were and then there were further steps to take, and it's like if, if they if they wouldn't have taken that first step in faith, they they wouldn't have been able to overcome, in in the long run, and in, in the way that the rest of their story, you know, bears out. I I think this is one of those things too that uh, I keep coming back again to this idea of discernment, where in real dire circumstances like that, I think I would hope at least maybe the choices are a little bit more obvious. Mm -hmm. particularly as it pertains to that, like, am I willing to sacrifice my livelihood for something? Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas when we look at the the things that we're dealing with now, you know, I guess like the threat doesn't seem to be real enough for people to be willing to make that sacrifice, you know? Mm -hmm. And 
when we look at their situation, so I guess coming back to the discernment thing, I'm reminded of Psalm 1, Proverbs 1. So Proverbs, do you want to recite it again? Proverbs 1? No, don't do it. I'll read it. The, the Proverbs, Proverbs of Solomon. <laughs> go ahead. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add their learning and get let the lear, let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables the sayings and riddles of the wise the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction so when i think about again this idea of discernment you know i think i've mentioned this before i've been to seer school for those of you playing at home that stands for survival evasion resistance and escape and uh, it's a requirement for special forces, right? It is a requirement for special forces. And and s- some other jobs and, in the military. And aviators and things like that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, in that scenario, though, what, you, you learn a lot of things. And, you know, you're not really supposed to talk about most of them. But one of the things I think I can can say, because most people know, is you, you get hit in yeah. that school. And so the thing that's that's weird about that is, in most military training, much like most education in our society, when you're doing things right, you're rewarded, mm-hmm. you know? In that school, when you're playing the role of a prisoner, you might be doing the right thing, and you still get hit, you know? Do, do you So when you're doing the, the, quote, right thing, or responding to the situation in the way that the, the training teaches you to respond, mm-hmm. does that actually lead to worse treatment sometimes i mean that's yeah. what the hitting is to to demonstrate you know yeah. but what you're what you're supposed to understand is that uh the beating is uh subordinate to resisting i guess let's say mm-hmm. what's important is that you resist and that you keep faith with your comrades and mm-hmm. that you you know uh, are, you know, even like supporting the chain of command because there's still that going on. Right. And, but ultimately it's that doing the right thing and not, I mean, like, like the, the element of, of selflessness still applies in that scenario. I say all that to say this though, again, it's such a weird thing when you, when you kind of like flip the switch that, oh, they're telling me to behave this way. And because I'm behaving this way, they're not hitting me. But by doing what they're telling me to, I'm actually doing the wrong thing. And so when I resist, when I do the opposite of what they're telling me to, and I'm getting hit, I'm actually doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, uh, in some, in some situations. And I mean, that's not always and everywhere the case. My point is this though, is it's like, we think about this idea of, you know, we talked about God's kindness and how we receive his kindness. So long as we continue in his kindness, right. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, on the other hand, you might be doing exactly what God wants you to do, and it may not be pleasant. Well, that's exactly the testimony of all of the scriptures. Exactly. I mean, I'm trying to think of any example of a faithful person in the scriptures who doesn't face serious hardship. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm, 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 as we sit here, as we're talking, I'm, I'm trying to think, and I, I can't come up with one off the top of my head who doesn't experience hardship. I mean, it's, it's always like persecution or, or exile or undeserved punishment or sickness, something. 
Well, I mean, I mean, that's the human experience. I mean, we all face hardship at some point because we all die, and death is hardship. But but we do have this idea that by being good, we we should be not subject to that or subject to far less. In other words, like that we deserve better treatment from and that's, directly and that's a from false God. Pretense. It's a, absolutely a false pretense. Well, know? it's it's at least it's it's misplaced. It's mistimed. Let's say. But we and we see both of those in this movie though, as they're pulling up, we this, do. up to this checkpoint. They make the decision that kind of whatever happens <laughs> happens. And for whatever reason, they get up there. The guard gets distracted, doesn't even look at their papers, and they're able to go through. Right. Right. And and that that's that's the scriptures too. I mean, think about the times that Jesus escaped death. Mm, right. There, there are multiple examples of that. There are at least two that I can think of, and and they're in his in his life. You know, outside of the scriptures, like that aren't specifically recorded. There are probably more more than that. Same thing with with Peter. Same thing with Paul. Same thing with all the apostles, and yet we know that all of the apostles were killed for their faith, except for the apostle John. Right, and and he was he was exiled. And then later in the movie, the Gestapo comes to her door. Her husband's yeah. already been arrested. Right, and they're thrown in jail. And at least he is beaten. You know. Right, and she's certainly roughed up. And in both cases, uh, for uh, as far as we know, they're doing what God would have them do. Mm-hmm. You know. Right, and and in that case, of course, they they were they were rescued, and there were two other times that that Richard was arrested by the Nazis, mm-hmm. and one other time that Sabina was arrested by the Nazis, and and they they were advocates came forward and spoke on their behalf on all of those occasions, and so they weren't actually imprisoned. Yeah, but they they were beaten every time. Yeah, that that is one of the things. That it said, which again is is very much in line with the treatment that the uh, that the apostles received for for their faith. But then once the Soviets came in, yeah, everything got worse. Yep. So I mean, so you have like deliverance, 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 deliverance. But they 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 weren't they they weren't out of the woods yet. They were, the worst was yet to come. Yeah. More more tribulation than they had hitherto experienced. Again. Richard was in Soviet prisons for 14 years, three years in solitary confinement. And, and again, you'll have to read about it for yourself, but the, the level of not just beatings, but psychological and spiritual torture that he endured Mm -hmm. is it's, 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 it's unreal to me that human beings are capable of conceiving the level of torture that he faced, which I think is evidence actually that the battle is not against flesh and blood. Yeah. I think it's clear from the treatment that he received, which again, I'm not going to go into detail about right now, uh, partially because I, I would really like for people who are listening to go in and read about it for themselves, but also because the content is so disturbing that that, that I, I, I think I, I don't want to mention it specifically right now, but I think it's evidence that the battle's not against flesh and blood because the level of evil that, that he faced and endured could only be devised by a demon. Mm. So I, I think that the, uh, the the torturers were simply carrying out orders, and it wasn't or- orders from a flesh and blood superior. They were carrying out orders from principalities and powers. But again, back to the the first time that, that they were imprisoned, which is, uh, or the first time that they were arrested, which I think is the only arrest that's uh, specifically dealt with in the film, you remember that we see Sabina there, there in the the jail cell, and a guard uh, throws a piece of paper 
and and a pencil or something into her cell and says names. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's trying to get her to uh, tell who their who their friends are, who their fellow uh, workers are, who have been helping smuggle Jews out of the country. Yeah, and she ends up writing a verse from Psalm one, and I think it's the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked shall perish. Mm-hmm. And that's what she turns in. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons that she's charged with treason. Yeah. Because she's, she's not submitting to the, uh, the government, the, the Romanian government, the Nazi. governing authorities, if you will, the, the governing authorities and, and neither one of them back down from anything that they, they had done. They don't shrink at any of the charges that they, they don't renounce their faith and and then at, at the last moment in court, as they're being tried for treason, somebody comes in vouching for them. And it wasn't really clear in the film who exactly it was vouching for them. Yeah. But 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 it was um I mean th- that that can be that can be read about further. But it turned out that they were they were literally a, an hour away from being uh executed by firing squad. Yeah. But just like the apostles, once they got out, they kept doing more of the same. Yeah. So, I guess I I, I know I think we're kind of approaching the end of the movie here. We're actually over an hour now, so we can probably start to wrap this up. Um, but you kind of alluded to the fact that as the movie as the movie's ending, or so you mentioned how this was only the beginning it was going it was to get worse and we mm-hmm. don't see that in this movie right right so this movie ends with well and i guess i don't know if we were clear on this the narration of this movie is her talking to the germans that she's hiding as as arrangements are being made to smuggle them out right and so the movie ends with uh her husband showing up with clothes to put these germans in and and then throwing them in the back of a truck mm-hmm. and the german officer is saying to his counterpart, his fellow Germans, like, who told you about these people? Or, and, and he says, it was a guy. He's like, who's the guy? And then the guy appears from the house, and the guy is... The butcher. The butcher. The repentant. The repentant butcher. Former butcher. And so he's now part of this network that's right. there to smuggle the Germans out, right? Yeah. And so it kind of ends with the truck driving off through the city. And so, like you said, but that's kind of just the beginning of the story. Oh, yeah, very much so. Right. So I guess what I'm getting at is, um, I guess the first thing I think maybe we we, ought, we could probably tell people that are listening is how do they, because this was actually a screening. Yes. Right. So how did you find out about this and how did we get our hands on it? Are you Okay. So um, I, I've known about the Voice of the Martyrs ministry for a long time. And if um, if anybody listening grew up in Christian circles, youth group type situations, in the mid to late nineties, you probably have heard of a book called Jesus Freaks mm. that was partially promoted with and through the Christian pop group DC Talk, who had a song called Jesus Freaks. And so they, they partnered with Voice of the Martyrs, the ministry that, that Richard and Sabina Murmbrand started, and, and they they put this book out and it, it was in it was in a lot of youth groups and it's kind of a, a modernization or maybe an abridged version, I think, of Fox's Book of the Martyrs. Mm-hmm. Or a very similar type of book where it it talks about the persecution faced by Christians and the faithful ways that they have have dealt with it yeah. over over the course of, of of many years. And so, um, 
it, it, it's a really great book. And so I encourage anybody who doesn't have a copy of it to, to look that up because we do need to know what our brothers and sisters in Christ have faced both historically and present tense. And so I, I've uh, gotten emails from Voice of the Martyrs for the last few years. And I don't always keep real up to date with them. I, I'll be honest, I don't read every single email that they send out. Mm-hmm. But I, I do frequently see what they have to say about persecution that Christians are facing around the world today. And so I, I noticed that they were advertising this film. And it was actually in some select theaters, including around our area, uh, a few months ago, I, I guess maybe back in the fall. And we had talked about perhaps trying to go see it, but we weren't able to. Mm-hmm. So then when I got an email about a month ago saying that uh, they they were they were advertising for a free streaming event this weekend, the 4th, 5th, and the 6th. And so I, I just talked with the church about getting together to, to watch it because I, I knew that this story... Like, I knew the basics of the story. I knew that it was significant. And I wanted more people in the church to be aware of it, to be encouraged by it, to be Mm -hmm. challenged by it, and also, hopefully, to look into their writings further. Right. And and I I I think that, based on conversations that that were had after the movie, I I think that that there's a good bit of interest. Yeah. So I'm I'm really pleased with that. And so... you mentioned it to Jessica, and, and so yeah. she she arranged for us to essentially host a screening, yes. right? And and uh, I think she thought we would just be streaming it or something like that. But they sent, that's what I thought too. They sent us a copy of the DVD that our our congregation now owns. Yes, and then they also sent cards with it that have <coughs> QR codes on it to where you can apply uh, effectively to receive, uh, I guess. A parallel, the parallel, a par- another movie that kind of sh- uh, shows the parallel story of of her husband, right? Yes, that's even right. Though, even though he's obviously depicted in this movie, yeah, it could be. Um, well, it's it's called uh, "Tortured for Christ," mm-hmm. just like the, the 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 book, yeah, itself. And I haven't seen that one, but I plan on using that that QR code, right, uh, to to watch it at some point. And I and I don't know, maybe. Um, even if I watch it or your family watches it or something, maybe we could have, I don't know, in a couple of months, another yeah another time for the church to get together and watch it. Um, you know, again, I think it's good for people to simply be aware of faithful believers and yeah. what they've faced and and the, the relationship with, with Christ that they've had that's enabled them to, again, like Revelation says, to overcome. But I think it's becoming increasingly practical because I don't think that persecution of Christians in the world is going to lessen. So can you maybe say again the uh, so the some of the books that he and she, they both wrote books, right? Yeah, I only know of one book that, that she wrote, and it's the one that this film is based on. It's called The Pastor's Wife. Right. So so you all can, can look that up. And, and I would recommend going to the Voice of the Martyrs website because they have lots of books available there. They even will send out Tortured for Christ for free to anybody who, I guess, signs up for their newsletter. Right. And I think that's probably how I initially did it. Like, I was wanting to get a copy of that book mm-hmm. because the first time that I heard about Pastor Wormbrand was from one of one of our good friends, Robert Hyde. Yeah. He had lent me one of Wormbrand's books, and so he, he's been on my radar for a number of years. The first book of his that I read is called 100 Prison Meditations. Okay. And it's it's short. Yeah. And it, it's one of the, I guess you could say it's a devotional book, but it's it's much 
deeper, much more substantive <clears throat> than than most other devotional books that I've that I've encountered mm-hmm. because he he wrote this based upon the things he was thinking about while he was in solitary confinement. Yeah. And honestly, sometimes it comes across as a little bit crazy. Really? But in a in a like a holy sort of crazy. Mm-hmm. Like a, a a holiness so extreme because of the extremity of his circumstances that yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. Hmm. But it but it's again yeah, it's a holy craziness maybe maybe kind of like john the baptist you know we get the idea that this guy you know he, he was a little bit unhinged yeah but because of the circumstances that, that he was in not only was it appropriate but it was exactly what the lord it was exactly who the lord needed him to be yeah and so i don't think that his other writings come across as quite as holy crazy but but that one certainly does. He he has several other books. I, I probably haven't read half of his books, but I've read that one, 100 Prison Meditations. I think I, I, I've mostly read Tortured for Christ. Um, he has one that's a, an, ex, an exposition of the spiritual significance of Song of Solomon, mm-hmm. which is excellent. I read that last summer. Uh, let's see. He has... Oh, um, this one's re- really interesting. <clears throat> this one is published under a pseudonym. It's called Jesus friend to terrorists hmm. and it's it's under the name radu valentine radu r-a-d-u valentine v-a-l-e-n-t-i-n hmm. and and it's it's written <clears throat> directly to violent terrorists saying like discussing with the the terrorist the failure <clears throat> of, of the system that they believe in and yeah. showing that the only way to the kind of truth that they're after is through Jesus. It, it's it's a very thin volume, but it's 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 absolutely remarkable. Hmm. You should definitely read it. Yeah. And then the other one from from him that I've read is called Marx and Satan, which I think I've made reference to on the podcast before. I think it was it, it was initially <clears throat> billed as Marx and Satan, but I think now it's it's under the title Was Marx a Satanist? And I, I read that, I don't know, a year or two ago, and, and in it he makes the case that Karl Marx was not an atheist. Karl Marx was an actual practicing Satanist, really? U- using Marx's own writings. And what's interesting is that, like we, we talk about this guy a lot too, but, but Jordan Peterson uh, mentions some of the same writings that Wormbrand digs into hmm. and is quoted from them in dealing with the reality of who, who Marx was like his true character. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So I, I highly recommend all of those books and I don't know if there's one place that's better to start than the others. I guess it just depends on personal interest. If you want just a good overview of who Richard Warmbrand is like the general arc of his life, start with tortured for Christ. Um, yeah, that's probably a good place to start. And again, you can get that book from free for free from The Voice of the Martyrs. Okay. Final thoughts? Read Richard Wormbrand. Um, the scriptures tell us that if we're going to be faithful to Christ, we can expect persecution. And I, I expect that if we continue to be faithful to Christ as the world continues to careen towards the situations that we read about in the, in the prophecies that 
persecution is going to ratchet up. We're going to see it in the quote first world. And so I think that we need the, the, the practical encouragement of those who have gone before both in the scriptures and more recent persecuted and, and martyred believers. Um, because it's clear in revelation one through three that the crown of life, I mean, eternal life is for those who overcome and we might be facing directed attacks in the near future. I'd like to close by reading from Hebrews 12. I'm going to start in verse 4. It says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Mm -hmm. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Enduring hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not, are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a while while as they thought, while they thought uh, sorry, as, for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So I've been thinking about discipline a lot lately as it pertains to some of the things that are going on in the world. And, and, And you know... I see so many in our culture, you know, and I guess with the military, in our military specifically, who who lack discipline, you know, mm-hmm. and we try to skirt discipline, and we find we find ways to justify not being disciplined, and in a lot of ways, uh, we're able to get away with that because of you know, in the case of, well, I'll just say, in, because of technology, among other mm-hmm. things, um, and so you know, when we look at the worm brands, like. On the one hand, I feel like they had it easy because the mission was so obvious. The threat was so real. It was right there in front of us. Whereas we have so many people in our country that don't seem to, who seem to lack the imagination and to understand how bad that this could be. And so the, the thing about discipline is if you're disciplined and you have luxury and you have technology, um, then you're going to be responsible with those things. But if you have luxury and you have technology and then you lack discipline and those things are taken from you, you also lack discipline. You're left with nothing. Mm-hmm. And so... Oh, Jesus talks about that in the parable of the sower. Yeah. You know, that there's the, the seed that falls on rocky ground and it springs up, but then because it has no root in it, it, you know, it just withers. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, that that's what you're talking about is is having like like a, that lack of discipline that you're talking about is a is a rootlessness. Mm-hmm. Everything is on the surface, and because there's not that internal or, or below the surface development of a of a cohesive life giving structure. Yeah. Well, I mean, the life doesn't last long. Yeah. There's no substance. When you'll hear the saying, it's something along the lines of like an ounce of blood will save a ga- or sorry, an ounce of 
An ounce of sweat will save a gallon of blood. Ooh. Something like that, right? Yeah. And so I guess what I, I, I hope people can do when they or understand when they hear stories like this is to take advantage of the good times, to do the work you need to do so that you can endure the hard times. Because like it says here, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Amen. Anything else? Memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. That That's part of the discipline that you're talking about. For sure. And that, that shows up clearly in the film. What will you do when there's no Bible? Right. You know? Yeah, what's what's left? What's left when you don't have the printed page or the or the illuminated screen? Yeah. In in your hand or hands. Yeah. What's what's there? And pray? Yeah. All right. Dear Lord, we thank you for uh we thank you for your son. And we thank you for those who've gone on before us who are willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice doing his work, doing your work. And God, I pray that we are able to take uh, look at look at these people and, and, and take the lessons that we need to take from them and to apply them to our lives, to be more like them, to be more like Jesus, and understand the sacrifice that we might all be called to make at some point uh, in your name. God, we pray that you give us the help us to, to discipline ourselves, to be courageous to be faithful, to be strong, uh, to be to be wise and discerning, to educate our children, and and just to help them to be more like you, more like Jesus. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen.